storm is going to blow in. And sure enough, this morning I noticed that uh, the coals were here from Arizona, <laughs> blown a long ways, and Mowers are up here from Arkansas. Um, Jeb, looks like you have some family here as well. So, did you enjoy the storm? Is this, was that nice? Not so nice, right? Yeah. Uh, Mike Doty was reminding me this morning that it was, it was just a small demonstration of God. He could just flick a finger in heaven and things on earth just go... <laughs> the power of a storm, but God is the God of storms. Um, we're going to be looking at Romans 15 today, but I want you to start with me in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be talking today about about prayer and when God's answer is different from your request. I've known people who have gotten so dismayed by the fact that God did not answer their prayer in the way that they had hoped or thought it should be answered that they have just given up on God. Just decided that, uh, well... If he's not going to listen to me, then why should I worship him? And, of course, I have to question the sincerity of a faith that would do that. But how does it impact you when, God, when God's answer to your prayer is different from your request? Different from what you had hoped or, or thought? Gene Ingelow wrote, um, I have lived long enough to thank God that all my prayers have not been answered yes. And I can surely attest to that as I look back at things that I prayed for and in retrospect think, God, thank you that you didn't say yes to that because of the, the things that would have fallen out because of it. And uh, an anonymous author wrote, wrote this about how God grants what we need and not necessarily what we think we want. I asked God for strength that I might achieve I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. I am among all men most richly blessed. And God does not always answer our prayer the way that we perhaps first thought or hoped but he always answers well and right, and as for God, his way is perfect. Now, oftentimes when we think about this topic, that God doesn't answer our prayer the way we had hoped, we might tend to think that he answers in a negative way then. Instead of giving this, he gives this, uh, and I didn't really want this. But it's not always like that. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, Verse uh, 20 and 21. Part of 
Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and one for us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could possibly pray for. You see, it isn't that our prayers ask too much, it's that we expect too little from God. And we, we limit our view of what God should do to our, our finite human understanding instead of being open to God's limitless knowledge and grace. So let's go to Romans chapter 15. We'll, we'll start with verse 22, although we'll have to go back to pick up some context, because Paul begins this way, this section, For this reason I have been much hindered from coming to you. He's actually here at this point in Romans 15, this section, picking up where he started in Romans chapter 1. And the, the same prayer request he mentioned in Romans 1, he now comes back to at the end of his letter. And uh, some people have suggested this is one of the main reasons for writing to the Romans, because he, he begins with it and ends with it, his, his desire to come see them. And he's, the reason for the letter is to lay the groundwork for his coming to see them. But let's go back to, then to chapter 1 to see what his request was, that he said up to this point has been hindered. Romans 1, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. Now, as he's praying for them and about them, here's his request. Making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. That's his desire, to come and visit the brothers and sisters in Rome. That God would open up some way in his will that this would be able to happen. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So, <clears throat> so we can minister to one another. <clears throat> Verse 13, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you. So he has often made requests, often prayed about this, and often planned to do this. I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. 
that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. <clears throat> now as we go back to Romans 15, we are actually picking up that prayer request. Especially in verse 13, as he said he had been much hindered. Verse 22 of Romans 15 says, For this reason I, have, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a, desi a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So you can see it's the same, really the same prayer request in both the beginning and ending of, of Romans. So what's the reason for his hindrance? For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Well, for this reason is going back to what he's just talked about. And I think if, especially if we pick up at verse 17, we get that. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. <clears throat> Remember that means he said, I, I'm not going to talk about anything that I've done, only the things that Christ has done in me in, in, uh, to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so he's, he's talking about his missionary journeys, his circuit from Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum and back. Going back and forth that whole circuit from one end to the southern end to the northern end of his journeys says I have fully preached the gospel of Christ and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation but as it is written to whom he has not announced he shall, they shall see and those who have not heard shall understand for this reason because of the uh, missionary journeys that God had sent him on Although he had for many years wanted to go to Rome, he was hindered or prevented from that because he, he needed to fulfill God's will for him. And he's talking about how God blessed, how God worked. Um, and so he's not, this is not a complaint on Paul's part. He's, he's saying, this is, this is the reason why I couldn't. It was a good thing. But I wanted to come to you, but... There's this other thing that I had to do. Uh, and sometimes we have to forego something that is important in order to do something that is more important. And sometimes we have to set aside what is good in order to pursue what is best. And I think that was Paul's situation here. It was a good thing for him to want to go to Rome. Nothing wrong with that. But there was a better thing that God had for him. And that was the ministry that he had. So that was his, his reason for the hindrance, but there's a reason behind the reason. And to see that, let's go back to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16. 
and we will start with verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul is going, not just wherever he wants to, but we see along the way here that the Holy Spirit is guiding him. Not there, no, no, not there, over here. And so Paul immediately goes to where the Lord sends him. So on a practical level, we can see that Paul had the, this ministry that he needed to fulfill, the missionary journeys. But the reason behind the reason really is God's direction, the Holy Spirit's leading of Paul and exactly where to go. And so Paul's obedience to that, not to where he thought he ought to go, but to where the Spirit was directing him to go. So that was... That's some background of his previous prayer. <clears throat> now back to Romans uh, chapter 15. <clears throat> so in verse 22, Romans 15, he says, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. His previous prayer uh, that he would be able to come has not been fulfilled yet has not been answered uh, with a positive yet it's been answered with a not yet no, or not now and so he moves now to his present prayer this is what happened in the past and here's where I am right now Paul is saying so his present desire is expressed in verses 23 and 24 <clears throat> but now at, at this current time, as he's finishing up this book of Romans, getting ready to uh, send it in the mail. But now, no longer having a place in these parts. That is, he, he didn't have any other missionary activity or journeying that he felt God was directing him to at that point. Having no other place in these parts. And he's... Uh, He's preached the gospel fully, as he says, in between those points. No longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, and here is Paul's true long-term goal. It's not just to go to Rome, it's to go to Spain. Because Rome already has a church established. In fact, didn't he say in Romans 1 that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world? The Roman church was a strong church. And so he wasn't going there to establish a church. As he said in verse uh, uh, 20 and 21, I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So he's not going there for that purpose. He's going there to, be, to have some ministry among them mutual ministry to be refreshed by them 
but his long-term goal is to go to the end of the world because past Spain is this, this vast ocean where there's nothing else known. And so to go to Spain, that, that's where he wants to end up. So, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. So Paul is still thinking about this next missionary journey, which will bring him all the way to Spain, and he's saying he's, he's hoping that the Roman church is going to help him in his missions endeavors. They're going to help send him on his way. So I'm going to come to you, and I'm hoping that you're going to help finance my trip, this missions endeavor, and be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. And this also goes back to chapter 1 where he talks about having some spiritual fruit among them and being a mutual encouragement one with another. They're just sharing together as brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, perhaps making clear to them some things he's written in this book of Romans. Um, so he wants to spend time with them, but his desire is to go on to Spain. So that's, that's what he'd like to do right now. But there's something else first. And it seemed, has seemed like to Paul that all these many years that he's wanted to go to Rome, there's always been something first. Have you ever had that happen in your life? I, I'd really like to get to this, but first got to do that. And, but before I do that, I, but first I got to do this. And you never get around to this because of all the other things. And that seems to have been Paul's situation. And so he goes on to say, even though that's his great present desire, he is being delayed again. Verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. One of the things I love about this is even though Paul has this great personal desire for many years, he is setting aside his own desire for something else, something more needful. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And he explains why here in the next couple of verses. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Now, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, where Paul is talking to the Corinthians about, you know, I'm coming by to pick up that offering I talked to you about earlier, and I just want to remind you of how well the Macedonians gave. Out of their deep poverty, they gave. In fact, they begged us to give even beyond themselves, and not even as we had hoped at first, they gave themselves to God and then to us. And the Macedonians, the Macedonia is the northern part of Greece, Achaia is the southern part of Greece. Macedonia was a uh, much uh, poorer section of Greece than Achaia. And out of their poverty, they gave to the needs of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That's what Paul is saying here. Uh, they, I, Paul has picked up the gifts from all these churches and he is... Um, uh, now on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 27, it pleased them indeed. They, they were glad to give the gift. And they are their debtors. Meaning, the Gentile believers are in some way indebted to the Jewish believers. And how is that? 
Well, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their, the Jewish believers, spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them material things. Because the, the Gentile believers were the wild olive branch that was grafted in uh, to the stream of, of uh, history of the people of God, then they have an obligation. If they have benefited spiritually, they have an obligation materially to share as well. Just as we as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a relationship with each other, an eternal relationship. Like it or not, I'm your brother forever. And you're my brother or sister. And, and so we have, we have the spiritual connection, but because we have a spiritual connection, there's also a material connection. And if I can minister to you materially, or you to me, or you to someone else, or that's part of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. And those, these Gentile believers want to minister material things to their brethren, Jewish believers. And so, now Paul gets back to his, his present desire resumed. He says, I have to go to Jerusalem and do this, but here's verse 28 and 29. Therefore, when I have performed this, so after I get this taken care of, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. Now, why couldn't Paul have just sent the money with an escort? Surely, Paul himself was not the kind of person who was going to uh, fight off villains. Um, and so why did he have to go to seal the fruit? Well, it's because the, the purpose behind the offering was much more than the mere money. What he was concerned about was the reception of this gift by the Jewish Christians. You remember how proud the Jews were that that they have never been in bondage to anyone, even while they were under the Roman thumb, and that they never receive anything from anybody. Well, would they receive this gift from Gentiles? This is a big thing. In breaking down the wall of partition between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, this is a big thing. Because if the Jewish believers rejected this, what would that have done for a schism in the church? And so he wanted to bring it personally to seal it to them, that is to explain to them the, uh, the relationship of brothers and sisters helping brothers and sisters, to look at it that way not as Jews and Gentiles, but brothers and sisters to brothers and sisters. So, so he needed to go. There was so much more at stake than the mere finances and then uh, Paul's prayer for the future starting in verse 30 well uh, I've, I skipped verse 29 so let's do 28 and 29 together therefore when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit I shall go by way of you to Spain but I know that when I come to you I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ so he, he's fully expecting that that he's going to have the fullness of God's blessing when he comes to them. 
Now, Paul's prayer for the future. Looking now past that and, and his desire to, uh, after he seals the gift to the church in Jerusalem, to move on. Verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul is not taking this lightly. Either the deliverance of the gift, and that it would certainly be accepted, he's not taking that as, uh, as lightly, nor that he's going to be able to go. But he's, he's asking for earnest prayer. And he's, he's calling for prayer warriors here. Think about the way he says this. Now I, I beg you, brethren. Now beg is a pretty strong word, but it, even that doesn't catch the, I, what I think is the significance of the, the Greek word behind it. And, and it's a word that you'll be familiar with, I think. It's a, you know the word paraclete, the word used of the comforter, like in John 16. I will send you a comforter, paraclete. Um, it's from para, kaleo. Kaleo means to call. And para means alongside. A paraclete <laughs> is someone who's called alongside. And so the Holy Spirit is someone who comes alongside. Jesus is called the, our advocate, or someone who comes alongside and helps us. And, and this is the, the word that Paul is using here, that I want you to come alongside me in this. I want you to join me, be joined together with me in this. Because you're my brethren, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's through the love of the Spirit that you strive together. The word strive is agonizo. What English word do you think we get from agonizo? Agonize. And it's the idea of, of this is uh, really pouring yourself into prayer. Now we have, I think, probably too negative a view of the, what agonizo meant because we think agonize is always something that's very painful and it's like going to get a root canal. That's agonizo, right? But it wasn't quite that strong back in this time. It just meant to, to work to the point of exhaustion. Completely give yourself out to something. I want you to, to strive with me, together with me, in prayers to God for me. And here are the specific requests that, that he lists in the next couple of verses. <clears throat> First of all, verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe or are disobedient. From the disobedient or those who do not believe. It's an unusual word here and can be taken either way as disbelieving or disobeying. The reason it can be taken either way is because in the Greek mind, just as it was in the Old Testament Hebrew mind, to believe meant to obey. If you really believe God, you will obey Him. In the Old Testament, to hear God's Word assumed that you did God's Word. If you didn't do it, then you didn't really hear it, or you didn't believe it. To believe is to obey. And so, on the other side, to disbelieve is to disobey, or to disobey is to disbelieve. 
um, so that I might be delivered from those in Judea who, who are the disobedient or who disbelieve. We tend to separate those two concepts, but not so in the Bible. In fact, James says that if you have faith without works, it's dead. And the works is the obedience of the faith, that really believing in God, the, the life that you would live because of that. Those things are intricately bound together. So he's praying for deliverance from, from uh, those in Judea who are, who are laying in wait for him. They have not obeyed the gospel of Christ and have not believed it. Secondly, that, um, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So acceptable service to the saints. He's referring here to the offering. Not only is he just bringing the offering, but he, he realizes there's this issue of whether it will be well-received. <clears throat> you know, um, there's a grace in giving, isn't there? And, and to, to be able to give graciously and humbly, not proudly, anonymously, there's a grace in giving, but there's also a grace in receiving. And... A lot of people have a hard time receiving something from others because of pride. And to receive something from others is to admit a need or that I couldn't take care of this or whatever. And, and sometimes there's a, there's a reluctance to receive. And Paul is addressing that here, that, that they would receive this, that, that the offering would be acceptable to them that they would see it as really something from God, from the children of God to them, but because God worked in their life. Acceptable service to the saints. The, the third is joyful arrival by God's will. He says this in verse 32, <clears throat> that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and again, he submits his, his own will to God's will, that somehow, by the will of God, this might work out. That there would be a joyful arrival in Rome by God's will. And then um, that we may be refreshed together with you. So that's a mutual ministry. Again, that we can minister to each other, bless each other. And finally, the peaceful presence. Now, verse 33, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace, the peaceful presence, not just the peace of God be with you, but the God of peace be with you all. Well, how did God answer Paul's prayers? Well, we find that in the last third of the book of Acts, uh, chapters 20 through 28, and we're not going to, of course, read all of that, but you probably are somewhat familiar with the story. If you're not, read chapters 20 through 28 this week. It's a fascinating story of what happened. And so the bottom line is, did Paul get to Rome? How did God answer that prayer? Not only did Paul get to Rome, but he, he got there without having to pay anything. His way was paid. His accommodations taken care of. Isn't that great? 
But when we look at the details of how this worked out, Paul went to Jerusalem, and he was uh, soon in trouble, uh, arrested, and uh, appeared before Felix, who listened to his argument and said, you know, I'd like to talk to you about this later. But he forgets Paul, and Paul is in prison for two years. Just forgotten about, and then Felix is uh, replaced by Festus as governor. Festus hears his case and is not sure what to do, so he calls for King Agrippa and Bernice to hear about it. And, and in the midst of that, Paul claims his Roman citizenship because they're about to send him to Jerusalem to say, well, we'll just let the, uh, the Jews handle this. And he knows what they would do. So he, he says, well, I just want to remind you I'm a Roman citizen. And because he claimed that, they said, we're going to send you to Rome. So after more than two years in prison, he was sent by ship to Rome as a prisoner in chains. A very nice trip they had on the way to Rome. It was kind of like last night. And they shipwrecked on the island of Malta where God used Paul to minister to the people there in Malta, even to the, the guy who was the, the main ruler of Malta and his family. And then they moved on uh, uh, when spring came to Rome. Paul was allowed to have, to rent a home in Rome, even though he was under house arrest. I suppose he had one of those little ankle things, you know, goes off if you... He was under house arrest. Uh, but he was allowed, people were allowed to come here, to him. So at first, anyways, he was able to have quite a ministry among the people there at Rome. God answered his prayer, but not in the way that most of us would have considered a good answer. Um, but God answered it in a way that brought him glory, that gave Paul additional opportunities to minister to governors and kings. Now, in closing today, I just want to quickly apply some principles on prayer. Um, first of all, answered prayer does not always mean yes. God can, of course, legitimately answer no, and that be the right answer, of course. Whatever God says is right. So, Answered prayer doesn't always have to be yes. And I think we get confused on this because if, you know, if you're praying about something and, uh, and someone asks you, uh, has God answered your prayer yet? How you respond to that depends on what you're really looking for because you have an answer in mind already. Okay, I'm, I'm praying about this position at work or whatever. And your idea of the answer to that is that it will be a yes. So has God answered your prayer? Well, what if he says no? Then God's answered your prayer. It doesn't always have to be yes. God always knows what is best. Um, here's an illustration from um, a young lady with her, her little son. As I, she says, as I pulled my brimming shopping cart to a stop at the checkout counter, a toy car caught my son's eye. Mommy, a car, can I have it? 
His fifth birthday was a week away. We had used our money to purchase his first bicycle. The one thing he wanted more than anything else in the world. So I said no to the car. You never say yes to anything, he pouted. He folded his arms and sat silently as we drove home. As I reflected on his childish behavior, I cringed. How often had I acted the same way toward God? Often, I have prayed for something he chose to withhold. I hadn't stopped to realize that his no today might be the prelude to an unimaginable yes tomorrow. How about you when when God says no to your request? Do you pout? Do you question God? I've been there. I've had that reaction before. This is something that I thought would be good, that I wanted, and no. Hmm. I just pout about it for a while. Always in retrospect, I have seen that God was right. But it's not always true in the moment. And so we have to steel ourselves against this and realize that God's answer, His good, great, gracious answer to us, not always yes. And secondly, God's answer to prayer is not always now. God answered Paul's prayer about going to Rome with a yes, but way down the road. For many years, I've been hindered in coming to you. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, and then I'll come to you. Oh, no. He's going to Jerusalem, two more years in prison, and then he's coming. God will will answer in his timing, and his timing is always perfect. Not always now. It's when we're ready for it or when the circumstances are ready for it. Maybe because of our young and tender faith, we are not quite ready for the next step that God has for us, and so He's, he's waiting until we mature. Or maybe it's because of what He's going to do in someone else's life that we're going to touch, that He is going to wait to answer that request until that person's ready so that our life will influence them because they're ready at that moment. Third, answered prayer does not always mean what you thought it would mean. God knows much better than we know. And with, uh, with our limited vision and understanding of the situation, we might think, well, this is, this is the right answer, but God sees the whole thing and his answer may not be what we thought it should be. Answered prayer does not depend on past victories or answers. That is, because God answered a prayer in a certain way before, doesn't guarantee he'll answer it that way now. If, if you have prayed for uh, a health situation before and God delivered you from this and you but now it's come back and you pray that again and God doesn't deliver you. God is still sovereign, loving Father in heaven. 
And so even if the answer has changed, God has not changed. So we can't... Past victories and answers are not determinative for present struggles and needs. God deals with us in the moment, in the time, according to His gracious plan. Number five, answered prayer does not depend on reasonable plans. How often have I tried to convince God that my plans were very reasonable? He should be able to see that, right? I mean, if this and this, then this, God, won't that be great? No. But God, look, this, this makes sense, doesn't it? This and this is this. No. Paul had reasonable plans, didn't he? I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to come see you on my way to Spain. Sounds great. No, it's not going to work that way, Paul. So just because we think we have reasonable plans... Again, we don't know all that God knows. And so we continually submit it to Him. And so, six, of course, answered prayer depends on God's will and His timing. Depends on God's will and His timing. That's why we submit everything to His will. Not as I will, but as you will, God. And it depends on God's timing. He has the perfect timing for everything. One day a man asked God, How long is a thousand years to you, O Lord? The eternal one answered with a blink, Just a second. Lord, the man said next, How much is a million dollars to you? God answered, Just a penny. With an idea in mind and a gleam in his eyes and a smile crawling across his face, the man asked one more question. Lord, can I have just a penny? God said, sure, in just a second. <laughs> his timing is different than our timing, but his timing is always right. Now, three critical questions that, that at least I have found to help me work through this when God's answer is different from what I expected or from my request. First of all, to ask myself, who knows best? You see, if there's a difference in the answer, then there's been a difference of opinion, right? Whose opinion is best, mine or God's? I might feel like mine is, but it's always God's opinion that is right. God always knows best. And I have to keep coming back to that to trust in Him. God, you know best. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I asked for. It's not in the timing I expected, not in the way. But God, you know best. Secondly, when I pray, do I want what I want or do I want what God wants. This gets to the heart of, of the matter. The heart issue is really our desire. Is it to please ourselves or is it to please God? In my heart, do I really want what I want despite what God wants? 
Or do I want what God wants no matter what I want? Which way is it? Which do I want most? My will or God's, right? And submit everything to that. Do I really want what I want or do I want what God wants? And finally, and these are all, of course, interconnected, do I trust God? Do I trust you, O Lord? Can I trust you? And if the answer is to my prayer is different from what I had wanted or expected or anticipated, God, do I trust you with that? Frederick Robertson, in, in talking about Christ's prayer in Gethsemane, where, of course, Christ prayed, Lord God, Father, if, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, then take it away. This, this cup of suffering that he was about to take, if it's possible for me not to take it, then take it away. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So, Frederick Robertson writes, From all false ideas, the history of this prayer of Christ delivers us. It is a precious lesson of the cross that apparent failure is eternal victory. And it is a precious lesson of this prayer that the object of prayer is not the success of its petition, nor is its rejection a proof of failure. Christ's petition was not gratified, yet he was the one well-beloved of his Father. All prayer is to change the human will into submission to the divine will. And so as Jesus prayed, as thou wilt. Practically then, I say, pray as he did. Pray until prayer makes you cease praying. Pray uh, uh, until you, prayer makes you forget your own wish and you leave it or merge it in God's will. The divine wisdom has given us prayer, not as a means whereby we escape evil, but as a means whereby we become strong to meet it. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. That was the true reply to his prayer. So, do I trust God enough to accept his answer, no? My answer to that question will depend on whether I am lifting up my needs or yielding up myself. Am I lifting up my needs or am I yielding up myself? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we would join Jean Ingelow in saying that we thank you, God, that we have lived long enough to see that all of our prayers have not been answered, yes. Because you, oh Lord, know best. As for you, God, your way is perfect. All that you do is done in righteousness and through love. And and we pray, God, that we will accept all things as from your hand, our Heavenly Father who knows best. Lord, enable us to fully trust in you and to know that when this life is over 
and we are with you for an eternity, we will all say, God has done all things well. Thank you for the salvation that we have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who even now makes intercession for us. We pray, God, that as we lift up our prayers to you and in his name, that you would mold our wills to yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.